All right. Um, there's a big space here. I realize that we're doing the group thing and all of that, but here's what I'd like us to do. Why don't we rise to our feet, fill in the front, and then when we go to our groups, we can go back to our, our um, different groups. All right? So just rise to your feet, greet, others, greet someone, say hello and stuff, and let's just fill the front seats so that uh, when we have latecomers, we don't get disturbed. Yeah, I know some of you ain't going to move. I understand that. But, you know, there is a special blessing. <laughs> those of you over there, those of you over there, why don't you just fill the middle, all right? Because that way, when we have guests, we will not be disturbed and they will not feel uncomfortable. Well, I still see there's a lot of disobedience in the house right now. Maybe when we, what we're about to teach will help us to be more obedient. <laughs> All right. Good morning. Good morning. Look at your neighbor and tell them it's good to see you today. I'm glad to be sitting next to you in Jesus' name. <laughs> hey, all right. All right, why don't we pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way you are changing us. Lord, we ask that you will continue to transform us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. It's good to see Michelle. Where is she, Michelle? Yeah, from Ghana. Yay. Again, I don't know. They, they clap me. Just be encouraged. It's really good to see you. Michael will be joining shortly, I think next week. So it's great to see her as they come for holiday. All right, we're going to talk about how can I resist evil. This is week seven. Is it week seven? Of, is it eight? Seven. Well, whatever week it is, we're going to talk about how can I resist evil. I want to read Romans chapter 12, verse 21. And it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, when you read the newspapers or when you listen to the news or when you serve the internet and look at what's happening around the world, it is very easy to, uh, to get overwhelmed by the bad things that are happening. And uh, you cannot help but realize that there has to be some kind of force behind a lot of the bad things that we see today. Some of the things that happens to people, some of the things that human beings do to each other, it, it beggars belief. And sometimes, some of the, even the terrible natural disasters that happens... You know, you think, if there is a God, why does he allow such things to happen? And the reality is, even those who work in criminology, you know, when you work in criminology, after a while, you get to realize some of the cruel things that people do, there has to be something else going on. Uh, the reality is, is that there are evil forces that inspire evil actions and manipulate terrible events so that they can undermine humanity's well-being and also bring about the destruction of human beings because we were and are made in the image and likeness of God. And the forces of evil that we're going to look at are hell-bent 
on being hostile to God and his purposes and the destruction of humanity. So the question is, where does evil come from? Where does evil come from? And uh, sometimes, especially those of us who may, be, who may consider ourselves educated and sophisticated, we'll, we, uh, we find it easy to believe in a God that is good or even in the force of good, not so much God, but in the force of good. We believe in being good and in the, in the force of good. But when it comes to a force of evil or evil spirits or demons or devil and things like that, we think it's in the realm of myths and fairies. Now, for us as believers, we know that there is a force of good, and that force of good is personified in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, because of our encounter with him, transforms our lives with his love and with his power so that all that the enemy has sought to do in our lives is undermined and God begins to build our lives into his will and purposes. We know this. And we also see from the scripture that the Bible highlights for us spiritual forces of evil that are at work today. And whether it's your life or in my life, there, are, there is a triple alliance of evil that is constantly at work in our lives. The first alliance is the world, the world. And the world is not talking about grass and trees and things like that. It's talking about the system of this world that is hostile to God and his purposes. And the world is the enemy around us that has been corrupted because of sin and has now become hostile to God and to humanity. And then we have what the Bible refers to as the flesh. The flesh. This is not simply your physical body because the physical body in itself is not sinful. The flesh is the enemy within us which has to deal with the sin nature within our bodies that out of that nature evil desires spring. And every human being has a sin nature in them. You know, as a parent... It, it never ceases to amaze me that you teach your children to say the truth, to speak the truth. You teach them to um, have good manners. But you don't have to teach your children to lie. Who teaches their children to lie? It's, it's, isn't it automatic? Unless maybe, I don't know. I don't know what children you have. But it's, it's automatic. From a very early age, children have an ability to lie. You know, did you take that sweet? One and a half years. You took the sweet. Who taught that child? There is something in us. It's an innate nature. It's the sin nature. This is the enemy within. And then there is the enemy above. And this refers to a spiritual personality of evil called the devil and his hierarchy of evil spirits that are hell-bent on the destruction of every human being. And when we're talking about how to resist evil, we're going to really look at this personality of the devil and his 
and his evil cohorts and how they affect us in our faith. Um, the best strategy of Satan to attack you and I is to attack us in such a way that we think it's normal, it's natural. You know, the devil does not come and say, I am the devil, I'm about to attack you. You would run to Jesus quickly. But he may come through a beautiful woman or a handsome man or both. So why should we believe in the devil or in the existence of the devil? As a child of God or even as a rational human being, why should you stoop to the level, so to speak, in believing that there is an evil personality called the devil and that there are um, evil spirits that are part of his demonic empire. Well, I want to read two scriptures and then I want to say some things on this. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 to 20. This is the Lord Jesus. This is a narrative that took place um, with the Lord Jesus. It says, then the 70 returned with joy. Now the Lord has sent out 70 disciples to go and declare the kingdom of God. Return to joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, here you see very clearly that the Lord Jesus believed in the existence of the devil. In fact, he refers to him as Satan, the opposer, and he says, I saw him fall from heaven like lightning, like suddenly, boom. And then he, he spoke about the empire that Satan overrules, the fact that they as disciples had been given tremendous authority over every evil power. And that's the one thing about our faith. If you've been a Christian long enough and you're, you're serious about your faith, you will realize the authority that you have over evil spirits and evil forces that would try to manipulate your life. Another scripture I want us to look at briefly is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. And it says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Now, this is the apostle Peter. He's a mature man at this time. He's seasoned in the faith. And he's speaking to believers and he says this. You need to be sound-minded, sober. You need to be in control of your faculties. That's what it means to be sober. You see, I've discovered that many Christians are not sober in how they reason. They don't rationalize in a balanced manner. He said, be sober. And then he said, be vigilant. In other words, be on the alert. Why? Because you have an adversary, an enemy, the devil. He walks about like a, lion, a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. In other words, he's looking to instill fear in your heart before he attacks you. But he says you must resist him. Resist him 
steadfast in the faith. In other words, you are able to resist whatever the enemy brings your way. You are not a helpless victim of passions within you, of the world system around you, or of demonic attacks against you. You have the authority as a child of God to resist any evil force that comes your way. So why should we believe in the existence of the devil? Simply because Jesus believed and confronted and taught us as believers how to handle the enemy and his cohorts and the fact that we have authority against him. Also, we see that our Lord himself was tempted by the devil on different occasions. We also see that he cast out evil spirits um, on many occasions. We also see that through his death on the cross and his resurrection, he defeated the devil and all his forces and caused them to be subject to his church. Another reason why it is important for us to believe and to understand um, properly the existence of the devil and his evil forces is because the Bible teaches it, like I've already alluded to. The Bible teaches it throughout the Old and the New Testament. Secondly, because the tradition of the church has believed and taught throughout the ages the fact that there is a devil and there are evil spirits. And thirdly, because natural reason, natural reason, informs us that there has to be evil forces in our world today. When you look around the world around you, you see all the bad things that happen. You see um, the moral decadence. You see how governments are swayed to, to change laws and put um, laws that are actually evil laws, bad laws. There are forces. And that's why as believers, we need to be very aware of our role. Now, it is important that we avoid two extremes when it comes to dealing with the devil and evil. First of all, one extreme is not believing in their existence at all. And then the other extreme is having an excessive and healthy interest in the devil and evil spirits. Disbelieving in the devil's existence makes you unaware of what lies beneath the evil around us in our world but it also makes you vulnerable to further deception from the enemy. Because, for instance, there are practices that the scriptures forbid, but may seem innocent to you and I. How many of you have ever read, um, um, had the tarot card read to you? How many of you? Tarot cards. You're looking at me. You, really, nobody, wow, what a church. Tarot cards, anyone know what tarot cards are? Anyone ever had it read to you before? Wow, I have had it read to me before. Anyway, <clears throat> what did you say? Of course. Okay, somebody's trying to help me with my preaching, so I'll take your help. What about horoscopes? Oh, horoscopes, horoscopes. I bet you know where a star sign is, huh? What about, what about going to a medium, a fortune teller? How many of you have gone to fortune tellers before and they've told you you're going to be this amazing person in the future and you're still waiting? Let me see. Um, what about, what about, um, you know, fortune tellers, anyone gone to a fortune teller? You know, have you ever gone to some of these um, booths? You know, when you go to like a, is this circus? Yeah, circus. Anyone been to anything like that? 
Somebody read your, what about reading your palms? Anyone had your palms read before? Wow, you guys are really amazing. I don't know. Do you live on the earth? Are you, are you, um, are you, okay. But excessive interest in the devil leads us to a pathway of occultism, witchcraft, palm reading, tarot cards, astrology, and things of that manner, which actually opens the door for further deception and manipulation by the enemy. And there are things that at times Christians do believe, practice, um, that actually is because of a lack of understanding of the devil and how he manipulates them. And sometimes people are doing something that is clearly bad for them, and if you say to them, that's of the devil, they'll say, no, it's not of the devil, this is science. Some of the so-called science is actually not science at all. It's just occultism. And then you have um, uh, the fact that you may believe in the devil's existence, but you are not clear about how to handle him from a biblical perspective. Many Christians are not aware of the devil's tactics and how he attacks them and how he undermines their life. First of all, the devil wants to destroy your life. He hates you. And I feel sorry for those people who he promises a kingdom when they die. There is no kingdom. There's just torture. The devil hates every human being. In John chapter 10, verse 10, our Lord refers to him indirectly as the thief. And he says, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. You see, the devil, and I refer to him normally as the enemy, the enemy does the exact opposite of what our Lord Jesus wants to do in your life. He comes to take from you, steal. He comes to kill, put out, and he comes to destroy. But our Lord Jesus comes to us to produce in us his abundant life. In other words, give us fullness of life. Live the life we were supposed to live. And how the devil attacks is in a subtle manner. So as not for you to realize this is him, like I said earlier on. And at times, the very attack that you're experiencing, you will rationalize it as, oh, that person or this person. When you need to see it for what it really is. You know, the Bible is very clear. Ephesians 6, 12, he says, we do not wrestle as believers against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. Even right now, I don't want to spook you, but if you were to be allowed to see into the spiritual realm in this room, you'd be amazed at the activity behind the scenes of your life and of my life. There's a scripture in Proverbs 14, 12. It says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So when the enemy is attacking you, he'll present something to you that seems to make sense to your natural way of reasoning. But actually, when you follow it through, it will undermine your faith and it will eventually destroy your life. Let me give an example. 
The person who first takes heroin does not realize where it might end up. When they, I've never taken heroin before and by the grace of God, I have no intention. I don't know, maybe I took it in some kind of um, med- medicine that I was given, but I've never had it injected or anything like that. I'm even afraid, you know, even injections. But anyway, let's move on. So, <clears throat> When you take it, from what I have observed from others, it makes you feel very good, yeah? Has anybody had that experience before? Okay, this is a church where you don't know anything about mediums, anything about tarot cards, don't seem to know anything about drugs either. Okay, fine. Just church, eh? You just come to church. Wow, amazing people. All right. Another example then, let's see. Uh, the person involved in internet porn. Has anybody, uh, don't, just keep your hand down on this one. <laughs> just keep your hand down on this one. <laughs> the person involved in internet porn does not realize the damage it does to their neural pathways. It's been proven that pornography affects the way your brain is wired. As you watch whatever you watch, I mean, whatever they watch, as they watch, whatever they watch, because it appears, even if I was to ask how many of you have ever watched porn, you'd just be looking at me, never. Don't, what is porn? You'll be even saying, so, you know, I don't know. But they don't realize that it affects the way their brain is wired over time. And it damages them. You see? Yeah. So, that is how the enemy attacks you. He uses different things to cause us to believe that by doing the wrong thing, our lives will be better off. I want us to see the first attack recorded in the Bible of how the devil undermined humanity. Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 6. And we'll show you the devil's attacks, a strategy, sorry. And it is always the same. From verse 1, Genesis 3, verses 1 to 6. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree of the non, which is in the midst, sorry, of the garden. God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Now how does the devil attack us? And this is the strategy over and over again. May have happened to you today. The first thing is, he will sow doubt in your mind about God's will concerning something. When he came to the the woman through the serpent, he asked the question, has God really said you should not eat of every fruit in the garden? I mean, every fruit in the garden, really? So immediately, Eve was on the back foot. No, 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 we can eat, 
God said we, 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 we can eat every fruit except one. So already there was doubt. But actually when Eve responded, she didn't even tell the devil the truth. She said, God said, of this tree, we shouldn't eat it or touch it in case we die. God never said that. God said, you shouldn't eat it because the day you eat it, you will die. God never said anything about touching it. So actually just imagine the serpent took the fruit and said, look, look, look at this fruit. Am I dead? Am I dead? You, catch. Are you dead? Are you dead? You see, but God never said anything about touching. And what does that tell you? It means you must be very clear about God's word. What God's word says. Don't add to it and don't take away. And it was the same strategy he used when he came to Jesus to tempt him in the wilderness. He said, if you are the son of God, command these stones to be bread. I wonder what ifs the enemy presents to you from time to time. You see, by the way, he does not come looking like some red um, being with pitchfork with a tail. That's not how the devil comes. He comes with your thoughts. He speaks as if it's you thinking. Don't believe them about fornication. It's nice. Do you know what fornication is in this church? When he comes and he tempts you, he'll tempt you as if you're thinking with your own thoughts. So he'll speak to you as if you're speaking to yourself. Tell them they're a fool. Or he won't even say tell them. He'll say, you're a fool. So you hear in your head, you're a fool. And then you say, yeah, you're a fool. Actually, it's another word you would use. You wouldn't say fool. You would say something vulgar, but I can't say it here. And that's how the enemy, he will put a thought in your mind. But he will cause you to doubt the word. The next thing is this. He will then sow deception. In verse 4, what does Satan say to the woman? You will not die. You will not die. He will tell you something that is not true but he will cover it with half-truths. He said, look at verse 4. He said, you will not die. God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, that is actually true. The day they ate it, their eyes will be opened and they will be like God to know good and evil. But what he didn't tell them was they were already like God. Just that they didn't know between good and evil. Because they were innocent. So he will say something with half-truths. But then he will add a lie. So he sows doubt and then he will give you a lie. The enemy uses our ignorance of the word of God to deceive us. And every kind of sin is in essence deception of some kind. Then the next thing he does is that he will accuse God. Now in your notes the order is different but looking at it. If you look at it scripturally, it, he will accuse God. Look at what he said about God. God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, God is holding something from you. Now, the enemy accuses God, but he also accuses us. He's called the accuser of the brethren. 
So what is accusation? It is saying something negative about somebody to their detriment. So he said, God is taken away from you. He doesn't want you to be like him. He's a selfish God. You know, the enemy still accuses God today through the media. He accuses God through events that take place. When he does something bad, he would then say to people, if there is a God, why does he let that happen? And he accuses you to yourself. He accuses you. In fact, Revelation chapter 12 verse 10 calls him the accuser of the brethren. Now, whilst the Holy Spirit convinces us about what is wrong, in order for us to agree with him and repent, the devil accuses us through condemning us, persuading, that something is, persuading us that something is wrong and that we can't change it. We can't change it. You say, you're a bad person, you've done the wrong thing, and you're never going to change. And so what's the point of even trying to do the right thing? And so what happens is we carry on doing the wrong thing. That's what condemnation is. It is a sentence to remain in a state of judgment. That's what condemnation is. Condemnation itself is not feeling bad that you did something wrong. If you feel bad that you did something wrong and then that feeling causes you to change, that's called conviction. If you feel bad that you did something wrong and then you say you give up, that's condemnation. So when the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ, what he's saying is that when you are in Christ, you don't remain under the sentence of hellfire. When you're in Christ, you can do something about sin and you can change. And then what does the, what's the final strategy of the enemy? After he puts doubt in your mind, after he, what's the next one? He puts doubt, what's the next one? He deceives you. After he deceives you, what's the next one? He accuses. And after he accuses, what does he do? He then tempts you. He now offers something to you. He offers something. Now the whole deception, the whole doubt, everything is to tempt you to do something wrong. Look at in Genesis 2 verse 6. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, well, we can eat this thing. Hmm. We can fry it. Hmm. We can bake it. Wow. Amazing. We can, we can do um, tree of knowledge patty. Tree of knowledge souffle. Tree of knowledge stew. Wow. Amazing. It says that it was pleasant to the eyes. It looked good. Wow. What a beautiful fruit. Amazing. Oh, mouth-watering. Wow. A tree desirable to make one wise. When I eat this, I'll be very intelligent. She took off its fruit and she ate. Grunt, 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 grunt. As the man, Adam, was standing there watching like a lemon. Watching his beautiful wife. Grunt, 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 grunt. And this is how some people do. They're watching. You're with somebody. They're doing something wrong and you're watching. He should have admitted, oh, not the thing, but... You know, probably the way, how beautiful Eve was, even when she was eating the thing, frank, 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 mm, yeah. Mm. And then she offered it to him, and like a lemon, he, he took it, and he also ate. So through deception and accusation, the enemy is able to tempt us to believe that doing something wrong is right, and that what will destroy us will actually benefit us. And that's how the enemy attacks us. So how do we resist the enemy? 
How do we resist the devil? First of all, understand your position in Christ. Colossians 1 verse 13 says that God has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us or conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Our position in Christ is that we are free and that we are free to be loved by God and we are free to love God because of what Jesus has done and that we are free to choose to do the right thing. We are no longer slaves to the sin nature where by impulse we just do things when we feel under the pressure. Because the devil and all evil has been defeated. Now, you might say if the devil has been defeated, how come there's so many bad things going on in the world today? Well, on the cross, Jesus defeated the devil for sure. But now, as a church, we enforce that victory. If you know anything about World War II, we have what is called D-Day, and then we have what is called V-E-Day. D-Day was where the Allies landed on Normandy and dealt a death blow to Hitler and his army. And from that point onwards, the Nazi army were on the back foot, and it was just a matter of time. V-E Day, Victory in Europe Day, was when Hitler finally surrendered and, um, and, and then the war was over. The cross is like D-Day. Jesus has dealt a death blow to Satan and his army and they are defeated. But the church is between D-Day and V-E Day. When the Lord Jesus returns, it will be V-E Day. When death itself is defeated. But between now and then, we enforce the victory of Jesus through the ministry of the church. So how do we fight the enemy and how do we defend ourselves? Ephesians chapter 6 from verse 10 all the way to 18, the Bible lays out for us a strategy as to how we as believers can resist Satan, resist evil forces by living out certain habits. And because of time, I'll just go through them briefly. The first thing is, we learn to focus on Jesus because Jesus is the truth. In verse 14, Paul the Apostle says to the Ephesian church, stand therefore having your loins or your ways girded with truth. In other words, make sure that your life is based on the truth of God's word. That you live from a paradigm of what God's word says is right and is true and that you're focused on Jesus, that you're living for Jesus, that you're growing to know Jesus that is focusing on truth. Secondly, keep your relationships right because of righteousness. You see, Paul says that we should have, uh, we should put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does this speak of? It speaks of being approved of God in how we relate to God and how we relate to others. And so how you fight the enemy is not just by saying, I bind you devil, I put on the breastplate of righteousness. No, it's by making sure you're in right relationship with God and you're in right relationship with others. And then the third thing is, is that you, the Bible says we are to have our, uh, to have, having shot our feet or put on the, the, the gospel boots, so to speak, so that we can 
go about doing God's work. So another important way you fight the enemy is by getting involved in serving God and serving in his kingdom. Many Christians don't realize that when you're doing work for God and you're doing work that is directly related to his kingdom. Now, some Christians will say, the work that I do, the work that I do in my job, that is my ministry. Well, then if they don't pay you, you shouldn't be worried. The reality is, all of us, we have to decide that what we are doing is for God. And we have to submit it to God. And what this means is this. We are doing active service to promote Jesus and his kingdom in what, wherever we find ourselves. Whether it's in our workplace, whether it's at home, whether it's in school, we are seeking to promote Jesus and his kingdom by how we are living our lives. And then the fourth uh, weapon is the shield of faith, which means we learn to trust God at all times. When you are trusting God at all times, that in itself is a weapon. When you are learning to trust God in whatever you're going through, that in itself is a weapon. And then also, we win the battle of the mind. We make sure that our mind is filled with the word of God. The Bible says put on the helmet of salvation. So we get familiar with the scriptures. We learn about the word of God. We seek to understand what the Bible says because as you do that, it protects how you think. And then we must also use the word of God, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. So not only do we fill our minds with, with the Bible, we also learn to apply the Bible. And every time you apply God's word in a context, it's as if you've used a sword and you've um, pierced Satan. So when Jesus was attacked by Satan in the wilderness, Satan said, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. Jesus said, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He quoted scripture. Again, when Satan said, worship me, he said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So when you learn to use the Bible to affect how you behave, that is how you use the scriptures as a weapon. And then finally, spend time with God by continuing prayer. Prayer is another weapon. It's another weapon that God has given to us. He says we should be praying always with all kinds of prayer. So as a child of God, having a daily prayer life helps you to be able to resist the devil. So we'll stop there. So in conclusion, we read the scripture. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You overcome evil with good when you seek to live your life to honor Jesus. You overcome evil with good when you seek to put God first in your life. You overcome evil with good when you learn to practice these simple habits. And as you do so, you will find your life will begin to make a difference wherever God has placed you. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I want us to pray at this time. I want us to pray. You know, Austin shared something with me earlier on about something that he felt. And I think it's appropriate right now. Um, I want him to get ready to share it. But I want to pray with you before we go into our groups. I want to pray with those of you that have felt like 
you've been harassed by the enemy in whatever situation you find yourself. I realize the guests here who are coming to celebrate with us as we baptize people and so forth. But, I, you know, even you might be a guest here and what I've shared may have spoken into your heart. I want to pray with you. So if you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I want you to pray with me, why don't you stand where you are? Maybe you've been feeling overwhelmed by some bad things that have been happening to you. I want to ask God's peace over your life. I want to ask God's protection over your life. I want to ask God to let his angels protect you where you are right now. I want to ask the Holy Spirit to envelop you and to strengthen you. So if that is you, stand where you are right now. And as you stand, I want you to do something. I want you to raise your hands to God. Just close your eyes and raise your hands just between you and God. And uh, I'm going to pray for you. If you don't want to raise your hands, it's fine, but I just feel that's what you should do. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, thank you for these precious people that are standing right now. And Lord, I just ask for your peace right now to come upon them. The peace of your Holy Spirit to rest upon them. Father, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke those harassing spirits that has been sent to undermine their life. I rebuke in Jesus' name. Leave these people. Leave their mind. Leave their life in Jesus' name. Father, I ask that the holy angels of God will protect them. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit will envelop them. Father, I ask that your presence will be with them. Lord, let them know your love for them. Let them know your peace in their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.